I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 26, starting this morning right where we left off last week in verse 31. Time has slowed down. We've reached not just that crucial last week that we often call Holy Week or Passion Week, but we've also reached that last crucial day, that last 24 hours before the crucifixion of our Lord. Last week and even the week before, we got into this last, these last couple, these last 24 hours. Last week we were in the upper room, up with Jesus in the upper room where he ate the Passover with his disciples. Do you remember that? The Passover last week? We saw that that was a Passover like there had never been a Passover before. Because Jesus made this Passover all about himself. He took bread and he broke it and he passed it around to his disciples and he said that this bread was his body. And then he took a cup and he offered it to his disciples and he said that it was his blood. And he said that he wouldn't drink from it again until he drank from it anew with his disciples in his father's kingdom. And before all of that, he shocked them all by saying that one of them, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And he even knew which one. So time has slowed down and so shall we. We're only going to study verses 31 through 46 this morning, just the last part that happens before the betrayal and arrest, just the last few hours that Jesus is alone with his disciples, and specifically those last few hours when Jesus prays and prays and prays, because Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows what's coming We've seen that again and again. Jesus knows what's right around the corner. So what would you do if you knew that the authorities were coming to arrest you? Jesus prays. I'm going to call this message this very night. If you're taking notes, the back of your bulletin has the title of the message on it. This very night. Because Jesus emphasizes the immediacy of these events in verses 31 and verse 34 with those very words. This very night. It's right here. It's, it's right now. This is what Jesus' life has been leading up to for all of these years. From the angelic visits to his parents, from the angels and the shepherds at Bethlehem, from the baptism of his cousin John, from the Sermon on the Mount to the Olivet Discourse, from everything we've read so far in the Gospel of Matthew, it's all coming to a head right here, right now, this very night. Now, I often have several points of application that I try to dole out to you as a Sunday morning message unfolds. Today, I have just two points of application. I'm going to tell you up front what they both are because they're both woven throughout this short passage. I want you to see and feel them at every step of this very night. Number one, we need to recognize our weakness. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's point number one. Recognize our weakness. As we see the weakness of the disciples, especially Peter, I'm sure that we are supposed to see ourselves in them. They don't do so well in this story. In fact, they fail, and they fail miserably. And we need to see how they did fail and, how, and to own it as a true picture of ourselves and what we need saving from and what we need the Lord to work on in us. 
And the other thing, it's, it's more important really, is that we need to, number two, marvel at Jesus' strength. So recognize our weakness and marvel at Jesus' strength. There, you have the message, you can go. Maybe I'll show you first before you do. But it's recognize our weakness, marvel at Jesus' strength. Both of those things are at display, on display in this passage. Our weakness and His strength. It's amazing what Jesus goes through for us and how He does it. And it should cause us to marvel and worship and give thanks that our Savior did this to save us and to glorify His Father. This is how I'm hoping we will respond as we follow Jesus through the events of this very night. Recognize our weakness. Marvel at His strength. Let's pray together and then look and see what it says. Father, thank You for being here with us, for everything we've sung, everything Miranda shared with us, everything we've heard so far in the Word. I pray, Father, You'd focus our our minds and hearts now on this very night, this night in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. And man, did He pray. Help us, Lord, to see it and feel it and know it in our bones, but especially in our heart. We pray in His name. Amen. In verse 30, Matthew tells us that Jesus and His disciples sang a hymn, And then left the house where they were eating the Passover and went back over the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives to the place where he had been teaching them about his glorious return. And somewhere along the way, Jesus dropped another shocker of a prediction on them. Not only will one of them betray him, but all of them will desert him. Verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night... You will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now we're used to this story, but it's really quite striking, isn't it? They had just had this intimate time together with their heads so close, right? They were all reclining at the table, all eating out of the same dish, taking the piece of lamb and putting it in the bitter herbs and tasting it together, all of them sharing together. They're singing a hymn, these men singing this hymn, probably one of the Psalms of Ascent, and then heading out into the night, wandering together up through the valley. At some point, Judas had left. It's just the the 12 of them, Jesus and the 11 disciples. But then Jesus says, this very night you'll all fall away on account of me. You're all going to leave me. And he says that it's written in the Bible that this will happen. It's written in the Old Testament. He's quoting there from the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. Who was in Zechariah this week in their daily devotion? That's one of those books we kind of, that's in flyover territory, isn't it? You kind of, your eyes glaze over when you get to Zechariah. Well, there's some pretty amazing things in there. And Jesus had read it, and he had said, it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Who's the I there? Who's going to strike the shepherd? God himself. God the Father is going to strike the shepherd. What a scary thought. And then when the shepherd is struck, the sheep are going to be scattered. You can see why that would happen. 
the disciples are going to fall away. So as I was studying this, again, in my, in my margins, I wrote, he knows. He knows. He knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen to them. And what he emphasizes is that his followers are going to stop following. They're going to fall away. They're going to run away. They're going to leave him. By the way, we said this last week, but this story is just going to get worse and worser until chapter 28. It's all true, it's all good for us, but it was awful for Jesus. And we need, as we read it, to feel that and marvel and wonder at what he went through for us. Has anybody ever left you? Have you ever been abandoned? They all left him. And he knew in advance they were going to. When he was washing their feet, he knew. Now, in verse 32, there is a note of hope. In fact, there's a prediction of, of a resurrection. He says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He knows also that he's going to get up again on Sunday morning. But all this is just going over the disciples' heads, right? What they heard him say is that Jesus thinks they're going to fail him. And that's unthinkable for them at this moment. They just cannot see that happening. And who do you think is going to vocalize that? Three guesses in the first two don't count, right? It's Peter, verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now let me translate that for you. Peter says, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm much better than that which is a pretty dangerous thing to say to Jesus. Peter thinks that he's better than Jesus thinks he is. Now, he has good intentions, right? I mean, that's good. Peter doesn't want to fall away. Judas has decided, I'm falling away, and he's being secret about it, and he's selling Jesus off. Peter says, that's not me. But we know where the road of good intentions leads, right? So does Jesus. Verse 34, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I think that's us, don't you? I think that's, that's there for us to see ourselves in the mirror. We're supposed to see ourselves there in, Jesus, in Peter's protestations and Peter's overconfidence. And he's not the only one. All the disciples say the same. And how many times have we promised the Lord something we weren't really going to do? Declared our strength and pledged our undying faithfulness only to disappoint and be disappointing. I love how the gospel presents the disciples as being not very impressive, because I'm not very impressive. I mean, Matthew was one of these disciples, right? I'm his namesake. If I were writing this book, I, would, I'd, I wouldn't just make Jesus a compelling character. I'd put in some good things about Matthew, too. Like the time Matthew said something really great to Jesus. I'd slip that in, or at least I'd be tempted to. But the Gospels, inspired by God and given to us, show us not just who Jesus really is, but who we really are as well. We need to recognize our weakness. 
which can actually be the start of our strength. Remember this interaction that they have with Jesus because it will become important in the next few weeks. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. The other Gospels tell us that this was a place Jesus went to frequently. I think that's how Judas knew where to find him. This Gethsemane is not located across from the West Branch School. That's, that one is named for this one. This Gethsemane, Gethsemane basically means olive press. And there was a garden there, so this was the first olive garden, but there's no breadsticks. Instead, what is there? There's a praying Savior. What a prayer time he had. Now, Jesus prayed a lot. We know that we've seen that again and again in the Gospel of Matthew. The disciples saw him pray. They, they, they had learned how to pray from him, watching him. But this was a prayer time like no other. Verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus has invited along his inner circle. Peter, James, and John, sons of Zebedee. That's the same three that he had invited up onto the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw his face shining like the sun. But now his face is dark. He's sorrowful and he's troubled. The fact is, and this is astonishing, friends, don't miss this. Jesus is overwhelmed. How many times in the Gospel of Matthew have we, this is our 71st message in the Gospel of Matthew, last two years, two plus years we've been in Matthew together. How many times have we seen Jesus overwhelmed? Zero. But he's just about losing it this very night. He doesn't lose it. Jesus never fails. But he's in agony. He's in anguish. Does Jesus exaggerate about himself? He, he, he uses hyperbole, but does he exaggerate about himself? Look what he says. Verse 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The cross was almost not necessary. He almost died of sadness. Jesus is so sad at this moment, he almost died of it. Why? Because he knows. He knows what's coming for him. He knows the horror of what is right around the corner for him this very night. And he wants his friends to sit up with him and to pray. How very human of him. We need each other as humans. If the Son of Man wanted his friends to pray with him, how much more do we need it, right? 
Let's be here for each other. Let's pray for each other. On Sunday mornings, do you gather prayer requests from the people that sit around you? I know that everybody has kind of the people you sit with. Some Sunday we should throw up the apple cart and everybody has to sit with people they don't know. But we don't, we don't do that most Sundays. Most Sundays you choose where you sit and you sit with people you know. Do you gather prayer requests for them? Do you say, how was your week? How can I pray for you? You are the prayer team of this church. Everybody here, you're the prayer team of this church. You should be gathering prayer requests from the people around you and praying for them. Maybe right there, just take 10 seconds and pray for that thing over the back of the pew. Maybe share your prayer request with somebody because you're human and humans need prayer. Jesus was human and he needed prayer. He, in fact, wanted people to pray with him. Jesus desired the company of Peter and the sons of Zebedee. Stay up with me. Pray, pray with me. Watch with me. But they failed miserably. And Jesus was left to pray alone. Verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is one of the most amazing prayers that's ever been offered to God. First off, look at this posture. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. Is it hard for you to look at your pastor doing that on the stage? This is the Son of God doing that. This is how he prayed, face down, in total abject submission Have you ever prayed like that? Face down. He's thrown his whole self into this prayer. And this face down Savior calls God his Father. So it's not just some distant God. He's bowing before his Father and he says, My Father. The Gospel of Mark says that he used that Aramaic word, Abba. We might say Papa. Or dad. Heavenly dad. And what does he ask? He says, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Listen to his words. If it's possible? Maybe in his human nature, Jesus wasn't certain. Just like he didn't know when the Son of Man would come, maybe he didn't know if there was possibly some other way. He sure wanted there to be. He does not want to drink from this cup. And what is this cup? This cup, it's not a literal physical cup. There's not a cup sitting in front of him in the, in the garden. A cup is an experience. If you drink a cup, you're, you're choosing that experience. And this cup is everything that's going to happen to him this very night and the next day. So this cup is the betrayal that's right around the corner. This cup is the arrest. This cup is the farce of a trial. This cup is the scourging. This cup is the mocking. This this cup is the crucifying. This cup is the cross. And this cup is the wrath of God. This cup was meant for us. 
This is our cup. Listen to Psalm 75, verses 7 and 8. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Who's supposed to drink this cup? The wicked. Sinners, the rebels, the nations. That's who's supposed to drink from this cup. But here... It's the pure and spotless Savior who drinks this cup reserved for the wicked. You know that song we sing, Jesus, thank you. You drank the bitter cup reserved for me. This is our cup. And when Jesus looks at this cup, he shudders. Jesus, who isn't afraid of anything, right? What have we seen Jesus be afraid of in the Gospel of Matthew? Wind? Waves? Leprosy, sickness, disease, sins, Pharisees, swords. But this cup, he says, do I have to? If I have to. May this cup be taken from me. He does not want it. But friends, he chooses it. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. See, marvel at Jesus' strength. Jesus' strength is a strength that comes from, from, from submission. You think of somebody laying out flat on his face on the ground. You don't think of that person as strong. But Jesus was being very strong at that moment. We often think about that strength is coming from not submitting. Just try and make me submit. But Jesus' strength says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he bends his will to the Father's will. There is glorious strength in being able to bend your will to the Father's will. And that's what Jesus does. He bends his human will to the Father's divine will. And he chooses the cup of God's wrath for us. And he drinks it. Friends, that's amazing. And of course, it only highlights the disciples' weakness. Because they're not being asked to drink the cup. They're just being asked to pray. Just keep awake. And they don't. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sawing logs, sleeping, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Peter, who had just said that he would die with Jesus if necessary, but he can't pray with Jesus when necessary. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. That's us, isn't it? To a T. I know I've fallen asleep during prayer meeting before. Here these are just normal guys in a very unusual time and place. They have good intentions, but their bodies don't want to comply. Jesus says we need to recognize our weakness here and pray for help. We are finite and limited and weak creatures who need all the help that we can get. We need to admit that and humble ourselves and pray and keep watch so that we don't fall into temptation. But you know what? Jesus was fully human too. 
And I'm sure he was tired. You ever been really, like, sad? And it, does, does that give you lots of energy? Like, if you're really lamenting somebody and really grieving, are you just like, yeah, I feel good. No, it takes everything out of you, doesn't it? I'm sure that's how Jesus felt. All this anguish that he's feeling, I'm sure that he was exhausted. And he hasn't even really started. And still he keeps on. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I I think he's getting his answer here, by the way. The Father's answering back. Jesus is changing his prayer from if it's possible to, I understand it may not be possible. Either way, he's committed. May your will be done. Just like he taught us to pray, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He lived it. He lived that prayer. We need to learn to pray like that too. We need to bring our requests, our desires to God. It's okay for you to bring anything to him that you want. Some people are afraid to pray. Ask God for things. Ask God for things. Bring your prayer requests. Bring big ones. But just hold an open hand. Jesus wants this so very badly. And it's no sin to ask for it. But he always says, no matter what, may your will be done. May your will be done. And for him, it's not just words. It was the prayer of his heart. May your will be done. May your will be done. May your will be done. Do you pray like that? With an open hand? May your will be done. The point of this passage is not so much that we need to pray like that, but that our Lord prayed like that. You see how strong he is? He didn't want this at all, but he stayed strong no matter what. The devil threw everything at him that he could. I am, I am sure that, the, that Satan was tempting Jesus right here and right now. This very night, Satan had returned and brought the same temptation to skip the cross that he had presented to Jesus back in chapter 3. But just like in the wilderness, now in the garden, Jesus never falters. Jesus never fails. He says again and again to the Father, May your will be done. Get behind me, Satan. May your will be done. And it meant our salvation. Just imagine what would have happened if Jesus had failed here. That's unthinkable. But the disciples failed here again and again. They're a picture of us and our need for a Savior. And thankfully, we have a strong one. Verse 43. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, may your will be done. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Nap time's over, guys. Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
That's where we'll leave things this week. At that last moment that they had alone together. They failed. But Jesus was victorious. From now on, Jesus does not weep. From now on, Jesus is not overwhelmed. I'm sure he is sad. I'm sure he's not smiling and laughing his way to the cross. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he is no longer prostrate on the ground, face down. Instead, he stands regally and he faces all that's coming at him. As the torch-lit mob climbs up the hill to take him away, Jesus, all prayed up, breathes out, may your will be done this very night. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what Jesus went through for us. We don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve the exact opposite. This cup is something we should have drank. Thank you that Jesus drank it for us. You know how weak we are. You know how prone we are to failing. You know how needy we are. Thank you that Jesus is everything we need. Thank you for his victory in the garden. Thank you that he said, your will be done. Thank you that he went to the cross. I pray for anybody here who has not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. They've not yet realized that he drank the cup that we deserved. That they would turn from their sin right now and trust in this Savior as their Savior. And begin to follow him by faith. Lord, please do that in somebody's heart, even right now, right here, this very morning. Because this is what we needed. We didn't need to become strong. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed a Savior to come for us and do it for us. And to not give in to all the temptations to go around it. Thank you for his victory. I pray you would give us more and more victory as we live more and more like him. Help us, Lord, not to pretend we're strong, but to recognize our weaknesses and then to follow Jesus in this strength that comes from submission to your will. We bring you all of our heart's desires, but we say your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done.